0: Are you thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning amen come on let 's give Jesus praise amen I am uh, so grateful to be in the house of God with you this morning. I uh, am just so thankful for all of the news that i i 've heard lately of, of all that God is doing in this church i I, I was thinking on the way down just how long it 's been since we 've been here, and I think it 's been uh, almost two years uh, since we 've actually been back in a service with all of you and so um, it really is such a joy and an honor uh, to be with you today. Um, so thankful to see people that I haven't seen in a while, but then also so many faces um, that I've never seen before. Uh, just greet you today and uh, so excited to be with you uh, in the house of God. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number four? The Gospel of Mark, chapter number four. I want to share a thought with you that I have entitled uh, problems or opportunities, and it's more of a question, so it's a question mark problems or opportunities and. Perhaps today will not be your typical Father's Day message where fathers specifically are targeted, if you will, or commissioned to go out and, and be, be better fathers and do better things and uh, for the kingdom of God, but what I do believe that this message is going to do uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit is going to uh, give us a glimpse into the heart of our Heavenly Father, that the heart of our Heavenly Father is going to become clear uh, to us in the circumstances and situations that we face and we encounter in life and how that God is intrinsically working behind the scenes in all of our stories to perfect His testimony in and through our lives. Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 35. Um, we'll read a few verses here, and then you can just keep your Bible open um, in Mark chapter 4 and 5, because that's where we're going to be taking the gist uh, of our information today. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, <clears throat> "'Let us go across to the other side.' And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was." And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Some translations would say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled, verse 41, with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Problems or opportunities. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank You, God, with all of my heart, God, for this opportunity to speak to Your people today. Father, I thank You for the Word that I feel that You've put in my heart, God, for this moment and this time. And Father, I'm just asking for the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to clearly and convincingly communicate, God, what I feel is Your heart for Your people in this moment in time. God, would You give me the help of the Holy Spirit, God, to be able to convey what I feel that You've put in my heart, God. Father, would You give every one of us in this house the ability to see, to hear, and to receive everything that's in Your heart for us to receive. And God, when it's all said and done, as we do now, we'll be sure to give You the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, I've heard it said that people never really know you until they've seen you through the lens of multiple people in your life. Because each person in your life, a part of your life, they see a different side of you that others, for varying reasons, don't have the opportunity to see. I was with one of my best friends just a couple of weeks ago in Massachusetts, and Mike knows a side of me that most of you will likely never know. Uh, Whenever we're together, we laugh, we joke, we act up constantly. And uh, our wives sit there half of the time looking at us like we're idiots, uh, because it's just like this nonstop joke fest. We're just constantly joking and laughing and cutting up, But the point is, is that through Mike, you would know a side of Ross that was unique. Although I'm not sure that unique would be the word that my wife would use for it. But needless to say, through Mike, you would know something, a part of me, that you wouldn't know normally. And you know, this is how the Gospels work in conjunction with one another. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them, they tell us about the same person. They tell us about Jesus. Jesus. But each one of the Gospels, they tell us about Jesus in a unique way, from a unique perspective. Each one of the Gospel writers, they emphasize something about Jesus' character, His ministry, and His teachings that are per- perhaps a little different than the other. And they all work together to help to give you and I a fuller, more broad, or deeper picture of who Jesus actually was and what He came to the earth to do. Now, the Gospel of Mark is unique in its presentation of Jesus in a couple of ways. First of all, Mark's story, as you read it amongst the synoptics, amongst the other Gospel writers, Mark's story, unlike the others, is quick-paced and dramatic. It's uncommon for Mark to belabor or exhaust his points. Mark is always very quickly moving from one scene to the next. A distinctive word in the Gospel of Mark is is the word straightway or immediately. It's a word that's used in the Gospel of Mark more times than in the rest of the New Testament combined. It's like Jesus does this, And immediately moves on to do that. He wastes no time. He doesn't stay anywhere for too long belaboring what he wanted to do or what he wanted to say. He doesn't exhaust all of his resources in one location and hang out and rest and then move to the next place. No, the idea is that Jesus does this, immediately moves on to do that. Jesus is here and straightway, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus is there. And so it seems that Mark's perspective as he writes the story, as he writes the account of Jesus' life and ministry, it seems that from Mark's perspective, Jesus is on a very important mission. And there is nothing that is going to distract or deter him from accomplishing this mission, this divine mission that the Father has set him on. A second way in which the Gospel of Mark is unique is that the Gospel of Mark focuses far more on Jesus' actions than it does His teachings. And so combining those two thoughts together, that Jesus moves quickly and that Jesus is very active, there are actions that we see all through the Gospel of Mark. What Mark wants us to see is that Jesus is not just a man who is moving quickly, He's a man who's moving with intentionality. And Jesus is moving quickly in the Gospel of Mark, what we find out, what we discover, Jesus is moving quickly to intentionally confront as much darkness and depravity in the world as He possibly can. He's on this mission, and He's quickly, intentionally moving, trying to confront and trying to oppose as much darkness and depravity in the world as is possible. Now when we or when Mark speaks of darkness, what we're talking about is that evil that has encroached upon God's holy creation in an attempt to defile and disfigure and and ultimately destroy it. It's that power, that power of sin that was unleashed in the garden whenever man fell from being in intimate relationship with God. It's, It's that power that has pervaded every generation from that time until now. It's a force in the world that has tried to pervert the plans and the purposes and the people of God. It's a force in the world that has tried to oppose who God is and what He intends to do through the lives of His people. When we say darkness, that's what we're talking about. This darkness, this evil in the world, it was a force in the world that until the time of Jesus was largely unchallenged and uncontested. But I love what one commentator says about Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark. He says that Jesus' presence on earth introduces a power within the terrestrial realm that is both radically opposed to and stronger than this darkness. So what we see as we begin to read the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is a man who is moving quickly and intentionally to display His displeasure with and His divine power over darkness. Jesus is a man on mission to defeat everything that would keep humankind from being who God has purposed and destined them to be. Jesus has come to see to it That nothing worldly or otherworldly will be able to stand in the way of us as God's people being who we have been created to be. This is what Jesus' mission is. Now, Mark's audience, who were probably Roman Gentiles, they would have been very familiar with powerful and authoritarian figures. But Mark wants his audience to see that this Jesus possesses a power and an authority unlike anyone they've ever known, seen, or heard of. Jesus has power not just to persuade people like crooked politicians. Come on, somebody. Jesus has power not just to manipulate or push people around like pretentious religious Leaders. This man Jesus has power not even just to plunder enemies of their goods like powerful Roman war generals. No, this man Jesus has power over the cosmos. He has power over the entire world and everything in it. Everything in, above, or below the earth is subject to him and his authority. Everything. Mark wants us to know this man has power over the world. Everything that you can see and everything that you cannot see is subject to Jesus when he walks into the room. Come on, somebody talk to me right there this morning. Everything is subject to him. Now ultimately, Jesus displays the zenith of His power in the Gospel of Mark at the cross. Because it's at the cross where Jesus finally and and fully puts an end to sin and to Satan. It's at the cross where Jesus secures our salvation, breaks the stranglehold of sin, and and opens the door to eternal life for all who will believe on His name. It's it's at the cross where the zenith, the, the climax, the height of His power is finally and fully displayed. But in the story, there are all of these little encounters that Mark brings out that helps us to see the power and the potential that Jesus brings into our fallen world. There are these little stories, these little testimony of who Jesus is and what He's able to do that help to encourage us that Jesus can interrupt our darkened, depraved state and He can do God kind of things. These little stories. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through Mark chapter 5 and verse 43. And so in just about a chapter and a half alone, and just a little over a chapter, we see how that Jesus displays His power over every sphere of the created order. In Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, we read how that Jesus displays His power over the forces of nature by calming a storm. But then we get into Mark chapter 5, and Jesus doesn't just display His power over nature. Jesus goes on to display His power over the spiritual and demonic realm by freeing a man who had been possessed with a legion of demons a man who was out of his mind because of being so possessed and oppressed by darkness, Jesus, in a moment's time, delivers him, displaying that he not only has power over nature itself, but he has power over hell itself. And Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus moves on after that instance, and he begins to show us that he also has power over human illness and disease. And He does this by healing a woman who had been afflicted with a particular illness for over 12 years. Jesus doesn't stop by just displaying the fact that He has power over human illness and disease. Jesus says, hey guys, I actually have power over death itself. And He proves it to us at the end of Mark chapter 5 whenever He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And so in just a little over a chapter, Jesus displays His power over the forces of nature, the demonic realm, human illness and disease, and even death itself. And these stories are powerful because they serve as testimonies to us that the presence of Jesus unlocks the potential for men and women, humankind, to experience deliverance from darkness in its most serious and severest of forms. These stories encourage us that there is hope for the depraved and the deprived of our world. These stories encourage us that there is no one in any circumstance or situation that is beyond the reach of Jesus. Everything from nature to death has to bow its knee whenever Jesus walks into the room. These stories stir us, they motivate us, they encourage our faith that if, if nature and demons and death itself has to bow its knee to the presence of Jesus, then there is nothing in my life, of my life, about my life that is outside of the realm or reach of Jesus' presence and power doing something about. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? This is what Jesus is able to do. But what I want us to see also is that in every one of these stories of Jesus' miraculous, supernatural, divine power, in every one of these stories, these four stories that occur in four different locations and involve four, five, six, seven, eight very different people from very different walks of life, In every one of these stories, there is a vital, reoccurring ingredient that unites the stories. There's something that ties them all together. And I know sure at first you would say, well, Jesus, Jesus is the vital, reoccurring ingredient. But there's something else in the story that makes it possible for Jesus to show up and show out in the ways that He does, proving to us that He is who He says that He is. There's a vital, reoccurring ingredient in all of the stories. It's problems. You see, if there is no problem, there is no opportunity for Jesus to exercise His power thereby revealing to us that He is who He says that He is. Without a storm, there is no display of power over nature. Without a demoniac, there is no display of Jesus' power over demons. Without sickness, there is no display of Jesus' divine power over human illness and disease. And without death, There is no display of resurrection power. You see, like the disciples, we often see problematic situations and circumstances as roadblocks or hindrances in our pursuit of getting to know Jesus in more real and revelatory ways. What do the disciples say the moment that they're caught in the Sea of Galilee in this fierce, hellish storm? Jesus, do you not care about us? Don't you know that we're about to drown? We're fishermen, not Olympic swimmers. Like Jesus, don't you realize that we're simple, ordinary people and this storm is too big, it's too fierce, it's too difficult for us? Jesus, don't you care about us? Do you not care that we're caught in this dark, depraved, difficult situation? And you see, oftentimes that's our response to life's problematic circumstances and situations. So often, beloved, we begin to see the problems that we encounter on a day-to-day basis as limiting us or as limiting God from doing all that He wants to do in and through our lives. But the thought that I want to submit to you this morning is this, and if you don't go home with anything else this morning, go home with this. What if problems are not hindrances or roadblocks after all? What if problems are actually stepping stones in our pursuit of getting to know Jesus in more real, vibrant, intimate ways? What if problematic situations and circumstances that I face on a day-to-day in my life are not roadblocks or hindrances after all? What if they are actually opportunities for me to know the presence and power of God in ways unlike I have ever known before? You see, without Jesus, problems are exactly that. They're problems. But with Jesus, what I'm coming to believe is that problems are actually opportunities. They are stages upon which Jesus proves to us that He is who He says that He is, and He can do the things that He says that He can do. Think of it for just a moment. If there was no Mark 4.37, and a great windstorm arose... And the waves were were beating into the ship and the boat was filling with water and the disciples were losing their minds, freaking out. If there was no Mark 4.37, there would be no Mark 4.41. Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey Him? You see, the problem that they encountered It helped to move the disciples from concept to experience, from conjecture to reality. Before the storm, they and the world around them had a concept of who Messiah would be and what He would act like. Before the storm, they have a concept of Jesus. This is what we've heard. This is what we've supposed to be true about Messiah when He comes into the world. But after the storm, they have an experience of Jesus. It's no longer, this is what I've heard and supposed to be true about Jesus, because this is what someone told me. It's this is what I know to be true about Jesus, because I've walked with Him through the fiercest storm I've ever seen in my life. And in a moment's time, whenever He said to the sea, be silent, the sea stood at attention. The sea was flat in a moment's time. It's not just... Just what I've heard about Messiah through Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Now it's what I know to be true about Messiah. Because I've been with him. I've been with him in the darkest of night and I've seen him bring me victory. You see, Jesus, he's omniscient, he knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. Jesus is fully aware of the storm that they are about to encounter on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knows ahead of time that just as they depart from land and get into the middle of the sea, all hell is going to break loose and this storm is going to try to swallow them up. But does Jesus avoid the Sea of Galilee just because He knows a storm is brewing? No, because Jesus knows that taking them through the storm is going to provide them with opportunity to know Him in power. Jesus knows that the problem will become a platform upon which He proves to His people that He really is who He says that He is. Jesus knows that what they think is going to kill them is actually going to be the means through which they come to know the presence and the power of God in ways like they've never known before. Jesus, in all of these stories, He's not being showy or ostentatious by using His power like a magic wand and saying, like, yo guys, look at what I can do. Like, isn't this pretty cool? I can cause the sea, seas to be still and I can cause demons to flee and I can cause sickness to go like, guys, look at me, I'm a cool guy. No, Jesus is intentional in everything that he does and in everything that he allows them to be brought into. Jesus was allowing them to be brought in to problematic, precarious situations so that they could experience His power and become fully persuaded of who He was. It was Leonard Ravenhill who once said that a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument about God. A man who has walked with Jesus and has allowed Jesus to take him through the hard, difficult moments of life and has come to learn his abiding, empowering presence in the darkest and most detestable of places. That man is a man who cannot be moved from his faith because his faith is based upon more than just what he's heard in Sunday school. It's based upon what he knows to be true by experience what He knows to be true because of the reality of Jesus being with Him and walking with Him through the severest and most serious storms of life. Beloved, I'm convinced we often see problems as problems, but I think oftentimes Jesus sees them as opportunities. He sees our problems, the problematic situations and circumstances that we encounter on a daily basis. He sees them as opportunities for us and the world around us to experience Him in more real and revelatory ways. He wants to give us a story to tell. Come on, somebody. What you need to pay attention to in the story at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, the first two or three verses, is that the disciples were not the only ones in the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. The Bible specifically says, Mark points out that there were other boats that were traveling with Jesus and the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And so when Jesus displays His power in the disciples' lives, it doesn't just affect them, it affects the onlooking world. Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm going to allow you to be brought into problematic, precarious situations so that the world will have an opportunity to see that I'm still God and I'm still able to do God kind of things. Don't get scared and worrisome when you're brought into the storm because I'm going to be with you in the storm and by the time you get out of the storm, you and the world around you are going to know that I am who I say that I am and I can do the things that I say I can do. That's who Jesus is. Problems don't prevent Jesus from doing what He wants to do in and through our lives. Problems serve as opportunities for Jesus to put His Godness on display in and through our lives. Our problems eventually become platforms For us and the world around us to know the strength and the presence of Jesus in ways like we've never known before. What we see in all of these instances, these four stories in just over a chapter's time, what we see is that Jesus is neither afraid of nor is He overwhelmed by darkness and dysfunction like we are. These things actually create the conditions necessary for Him to do His greatest works in the earth. We run from the things that Jesus runs to. Darkness, dysfunction, depravity, the things that we label only as problems, Jesus sees as opportunities for Him to interrupt and display His power. From Genesis 1 and 2 onward, God has been stepping into darkness and dysfunction and disrupting it with His power. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. When you read that that, that, that first sentence in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that darkness covered the face of the earth, it, it literally speaks of utter void and darkness and chaos. It's, it's an uninhabitable place. Nothing can dwell there, nothing can live there, nothing can prosper there. It's, It's uninhabitable, it's void, it's chaotic, it's dysfunctional. But I thank God that Genesis 1 and 2 doesn't stop there. Because the Bible, after introducing all of this darkness and dysfunction and disorder, the Bible goes on to say that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. God steps out of heaven into darkness and dysfunction. And He says, guys, take a step back. Watch what I'm about to do. He steps into darkness and dysfunction, and for the next two chapters, we see Jesus overcoming and overwhelming darkness, and light is springing forth, and trees are coming up, and life is being born. All of these things are happening simply because Jesus stepped into darkness and said, hey guys, I'm going to do something about this. The very first mention of the Spirit of God's activity in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, sets precedent for who He is and what He does throughout the remainder of the Bible and, beloved, the remainder of history. I specialize in stepping into darkness and dysfunction and doing God kind of things. And what I love... What I've seen through the Bible and what I've learned in my own life is that He doesn't just take problems as they come and turn them into opportunities. He doesn't wait for something bad to happen. What I read in Scriptures is that He goes looking for the problem. He looks for for darkness and dysfunction. He looks for desperation. He looks for these things that people say have no hope. And He likes stepping into those situations and causing people to see that with Jesus, there is no situation as hopeless. There is no such thing as helpless so long as Jesus is a part of the story. He's not relegated to doing what He does best inside of the four walls of this church. Come on, somebody. He doesn't wait until we're at church and the music is just perfect and Pastor Lee preaches the perfect message and church attendance is at its peak. You know, then if we, if we have all of those things going for us, then maybe, just maybe, God can show up and do some great things. Maybe if we have it all together, we have everything, all of our ducks in a row, all of our I's dotted, all of our T's crossed, everything is as it should be, then God will be welcome to come and do all that He wants to do in and through our lives. No, if I read history, if I read His story correctly, what I see is that Jesus does His best works in the darkest and most detestable of places. I don't know if you saw Becca's Facebook post this week but he does it in the mall of Louisiana come on somebody some of you would say man ain't no place darker than that I don't go to the mall no more it's messed up people doing messed up things I know I hear the chatter nobody go to the mall stay away from the mall but you know what the youth A first New Testament church said, they said, the God that we know, He steps into darkness and He brings light. And if He's with us, then perhaps we can do the same thing. And so we're going to go to where no one else wants to go and we're going to preach Jesus. And guess what? When they began to preach Jesus, Jesus showed up and began to do Jesus kind of things. Come on, somebody. Talk to me right there. He doesn't wait until Sunday morning. Until the worship is just right, the message is just right, the altar call is just right. He doesn't wait until we have everything together to do His best works. No, history testifies to me that He does His greatest works in the darkest of places. In the most desperate of situations. In the most detestable of lives, Jesus shows up and says, Hey guys, look at what I'm able to do. He does it in the projects. He does it in public schools. He, he does it in prisons and rehabs and broken homes. And, and some of you can testify of that today because when Jesus met you, you were not in a Sunday morning church service at a nice altar somewhere. No, you were amidst a broken home and a broken family. And all of a sudden Jesus kicked down the doors of your situation and said, hey guy, I'm here to do something that nobody else has ever been able to do for you. And I'm going to take you out of your darkness and out of your dysfunction and out of your depravity and I'm going to prove to the world that I am still God and I still do God kind of things. Some of you know what I'm talking about today. You know. Because it wasn't when everything was right. It was when all hell had broken loose in your life that Jesus showed up and did the most supernatural, divine, miraculous things that you've ever seen or experienced in your life. The things that we label as problems, oftentimes I think Jesus labels as opportunities. What is it today that in your mind right now as I speak to you, that you need to begin to relabel? What is it that you've labeled a problem that you need to begin to relabel as opportunity? What of a past stained by failure? Because some of you think that Jesus can't use you in the way that He wants to use you or in the way that He uses other people because your past is too messed up. Beloved, the Apostle Paul had a worse past than probably any of us in this room. And God not only used him to shake the world in his generation, God is still using the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul to shake the lives of people 2,000 years later. What of a past stained by failure? You see it as a problem, but I think it's an opportunity. What of present health or financial struggles? I'm in the struggle of my life and I think that somehow because I'm struggling in my body or I'm struggling in my finances that somehow Jesus is limited from doing all that He wants to do in and through my life. Perhaps it's problematic. But perhaps it's also an opportunity for Jesus to show up and to show you His strength. Perhaps it's an opportunity for the onlooking world to be able to see that Jesus really is who He says that He is and He can really do all the things that He says He can do. What of an uncertain future? I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't have great plans for my life. I, I don't have people who are rooting for me and applauding me on this race to the finish line. I don't know what's going to happen in my future. It's opportunity. I'm not making light of any of these things. But what I'm saying is that none of these things have ever hindered God from being God in the past, and they're not going to hinder Him from being God in our generation. Some of you, you need to go home today and you need to begin to relabel the things that you labeled as problems as opportunities. A lost child. Man, I raised my boy. I raised my girl in church, but now they're, they're far from God. They're, they're astray. They don't want anything to do with me or, the, or the things of God. And, and it's only brought discouragement and worry and anxiety into your life. Perhaps today you need to go home, lay hands on their bedroom door and say, Father, forgive me for only labeling this as a problem. In the name of Jesus, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you to interrupt the downward spiral of my family and begin to work miracles once again. This is an opportunity for you to show up and to show my family that you still are who we've always said that you were. What about that bad part of of your neighborhood that you drive by every day and you 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 whine and you complain about and we do this all of the time? Man, this doesn't look good on my neighborhood there's bad people there and bad kids and they're on drugs and gosh man i wish the I wish the the, the i want to say county because now I'm like a, a northerner, but what I wish the parish would do something about this right I, I wish they would come in and, and run these people out and, and clean this place up and, and it's always a point of contention it's always problematic to you. But what if Jesus is saying, I want to take what you've labeled as a problem and turn it into an opportunity. This is not problematic, this is an opportunity for you to walk into the projects, represent me, who I am and what I'm able to do, and watch. And perhaps what you've labeled a problem will actually become a place where people get saved, they get brought from darkness to light, and revival begins to happen. All I'm saying is is that, guys, we often label these everyday problematic situations only as problems. But perhaps, Jesus says, no, they're opportunities. They're opportunities. And what's so encouraging to me is that Jesus, in His grace, is even willing to turn problems of our own making into opportunities for us and others to know His saving grace and power. I've known this in my own life. Think of the demoniac though. Beginning of Mark chapter 5. Commentators will agree, most of us know the story, so I won't take time to read through it, but commentators will agree that this demoniac was this way. That he was this perplexed. This dysfunctional. And his mind for one of one of two reasons. Number one, because of what he had done to himself. He had lived and he had led such an ungodly lifestyle that he opened his heart to all sorts of darkened demonic powers that eventually, uh, literally began to rule and dominate his life. Other scholars will say that it was not because of what he had done to himself, but it was probably because of what others had done to him. That he was raised in an abusive, manipulative home where people, instead of loving him, abused him. And perhaps his parents were idol worshipers. And through their idol worship, they opened their home to all sorts of dark and demonic powers. And eventually, he ended up this way because of what others had done to him. Some say it's what He did to Himself. Others say it's what others had done to Him. But the Bible doesn't say which. But what the Bible does tell us is that Jesus went looking for Him. It doesn't say why He was the way that He was. But it says that Jesus quite literally moved heaven and earth To get to this man in his darkened and depraved state. And by the end of the story, the man who was out of his mind, cutting himself with stones, breaking chains as people tried to bind him. By the end of the story, after Jesus walks into the room, the Bible says that the man is not only in his right mind, but the man becomes a preacher of the gospel. He goes back to his hometown. Can you imagine? Think of it with me for just a moment. Bring yourself into the story. Because listen, this man wasn't just... He was, when we get to him in Gadara, he's on an island kind of by himself, but he ended up there because his community, his family was so frightened by him and his actions that they wanted nothing to do with him any longer. Can you imagine him walking back into his hometown and all of a sudden, he's speaking like a normal person. He's not foaming at the mouth. He's not writhing in his body. He's not falling to the ground in convulsions and doing all of these things that these demonic and darkened powers had influenced him to do. No, now all of a sudden, he's telling them, "Hey guys, don't be afraid. I've been set free. I, I, I've been delivered." Somebody was willing to step into my darkness and my dysfunction, and they were able to do something that nobody else had been able to do. Think of the story God gives this man. You want to talk about a testimony, no greater testimony than that. A whole generation seeing what had happened to this man, having the opportunity to see what the power of Jesus is able to do in a darkened world life. Beloved, we cannot get so discouraged by the darkness that surrounds us that we forget who we're with or who's with us. Disciples, you're in the storm, but don't forget Jesus is in the boat. You're in Gadara and you're face-to-face with a man who's possessed with legions of demons, who probably has the power to maul you and kill all of you in a moment's time, don't be afraid, because it's not just the demoniac that's in Gadara. Jesus is in Gadara. It's a woman with the issue of blood. Who's talking nonsense. She's been sick for 12 plus years and she's complaining about how doctors have failed her and they're not able to do anything for her condition. And people are actually trying to get her away because she's such a disruption and distraction. But don't forget, it's not just the crazy woman with the crazy sickness that's in the situation. Jesus is also there. Jairus' is home, there's a little girl it's not even an adult. She's not even lived life. There's a little girl, seven, maybe eight years old, who has died because of her illness. Don't forget, Jesus is also in the house. Jesus steps into the dark situations and He disrupts them. First John 3 and 8 says it this way, For this reason was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Perspective is everything. If we don't have this perspective, beloved, I know from experience, we're going to live miserable, cynical lives. And every problem that we encounter, we're going to complain and bemoan and we're going to sorrow because we so often forget that Jesus is with us where we are I don't want to live a faithless and hopeless life. And I know what it is to be faced with hopelessness and despair. And some of you are right there. You say, I woke up this morning and hopelessness and faithlessness was knocking on my door. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do about the situation that I'm in. But beloved, we can choose to live by faith. I don't know how Jesus will display His power and I don't get to tell Him how He's going to display it, but I can say that I'm going to believe in every situation of my life that Jesus is going to display His power on my behalf. Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because I am His child. I get to choose. Maybe I don't get to choose how, but I get to choose to believe That He will display His power in my life. Singers and musicians, if you guys can come. And beloved, I want you to hear me this morning. I'm not saying that Jesus is always going to immediately deliver us from trouble whenever it comes. But what I am saying is that even when He's not delivering us from it, He's delivering us from the enemy's intentions in it. The prophet Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 54 and 17. No weapon that's formed against you shall be able to prosper. He never promised that the weapon would not be formed. But he did promise that the weapon that was formed would not be able to succeed in carrying out its desired intentions in our lives. And so even when He's not immediately delivering us from it, what I can promise you is that He's bringing us through it. And sometimes the testimony of being brought through it is just as pertinent and powerful as the testimony of being delivered from it. In 2017, some of you know us so well, and so you know this story, but for those of you who don't know us, I'm going to tell this story like you've never heard it before. In 2017, my wife and I, we moved from right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to Central East, Central East Mississippi, where we began to pastor a church and like most young pastors or people in ministry man we were excited like we were thrilled to death from the time we were both young we had we had felt like a distinct call of god on our lives like we would serve god in in full time ministry and so for us it was like this was it you know we're going to go to this community and and we're going to believe for, for, for Jesus to interrupt the darkness of this community and, and bring revival and we're gonna see God do great things and there was so much hope and anticipation in going here just a couple of months after we accepted the pastor in the summer of 2017 my wife began to become incredibly ill and her illness progressed so quickly and to such a degree that by the end of 2017 beginning of 2018 She completely lost her ability to walk and was confined to a wheelchair. Not only was she confined to a wheelchair, but most days she was so sick and she was in so much pain that she couldn't even pick her head up off of the pillow. 90% of the time for that first year and a half of pastoring, myself and my two little girls who are now seven and nine, but who were two and four at the time, the three of us would have to go to church by ourselves without Mama. Because mom was so sick. And it's like you begin to go through something like that and you're like, yo, this is not what I envisioned when I chose to follow the call of God. Like, you know, I was was believing God to do great things in Mississippi. Like we were believing for revival and outpouring of the Spirit, testimonies of of, of Jesus and His power. and, And here we are, it feels, being swallowed by perplexity. Being swallowed by a trial that is beyond mending. We start to see doctors and specialists all over the country. No one has an answer for why she is the way that she is. And even if they do have somewhat of an answer, they are inhibited from actually doing anything about it. Doctors are perplexed. Specialists are perplexed. We are perplexed. And I remember those first couple of months being so hard. I remember I would go to the office and I would come home and many days Sarah would be in the bed or she would be sitting. We had a big walk-in closet at this house. She would be sitting in the closet and she would just be weeping. She would be crying. And you could tell if she hadn't just started crying, she'd been crying and weeping all day. There would literally be puddles of tears on our bed or in our closet because she was so discouraged. Because for all of her life, The one thing that she wanted, the one thing that she wanted, the entirety of her life, I want to be a pastor's wife and I want to be a mom. And the two things that she had achieved for just a couple of short months had been stripped from her. She could no longer be the pastor's wife that she wanted to be. 90% of the time she couldn't even get to church and she couldn't be the mom that she wanted to be she couldn't wash their hair she couldn't wash her own hair much less their hair half of the time it was a perplexing situation but you know just a couple of months into that I can remember as the Spirit of God began to speak to us and out of nowhere it was as if promises began to arise in our hearts and people would begin to encourage us with different words and In one way or another, the Lord began to speak to us. And and I remember it like it was yesterday. And He began to speak to us. And He began to say, Sarah Ross, if you'll trust me, I promise that I will take the thing that you have labeled a problem. And I will turn it into an opportunity for you and others to know my presence and my power in ways unlike you have ever known before. I remember one day God specifically speaking to me and saying, Ross, there are people in your future, people you haven't even met yet, people who you don't even know exist, but there are people in your future who are going to have an opportunity to know me in greater and more intimate ways because of, because of what I'm going to do in and through your life. And I remember it being so hard to believe because nothing is changing in the natural. Everything is the same. Day to day, nothing changes for the better. If it does change, it's only for the worse. And so many of you were so instrumental in encouraging us and praying for us and walking with us through that season. That year of 2019, when we came here and we're like, you guys know how we were. We don't know what we're doing, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how this is going to turn out. And eventually God moved us to Pennsylvania. And just a couple of months after being in Pennsylvania, we're sitting at dinner with our pastors one night. And out of nowhere, my pastor, Pastor Carter Conlon, him and Lee are like, my pastors, these these guys, I love these guys with all of my heart. But Pastor Carter's, we're having dinner with them one night and he looks at me across the table and he says, Ross, 2021 is going to be the year that Sarah gets out of the wheelchair. And it was like, bro, and I would never call him bro. Um, Just, yeah. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yo, bro, you know, like this is, no, I don't don't know, you know. Because for four years now, three, three and a half years, people have been praying for us and encouraging us. And God's people have been telling us of what God was going to do. And nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. But I had such a respect for this man that I'm like, you know, I, I know he wouldn't say something Like that, because it wasn't like, hey, I'm praying that this is going to be the year. It was, Ross, God told me that this is going to be the year. And I'm like, I know he wouldn't say something like that unless he was fully, absolutely convinced that the Spirit of God had moved his heart to do so. And so I said, You know what? We're still in this perplexing, difficult situation. I don't know how it's going to come about. But Lord, if you'll help me, I'll believe your word. We're going to say yes to whatever you want to do. And we're just going to trust you. Six months later, and we live on campus there at Summit. Six months later, I'm in my office, and my office is just 300 yards away from where we live. And I'm in my office, and I get a phone call. And it's Sarah on the other end of the line. And the first thing I hear is her just weeping uncontrollably. She's just sobbing. And you husbands know, man, like when that's the first thing you hear on the other end of the line, it's big trouble. Come on, any, any, any fathers, any husbands know what I'm talking about? The, you know, your wife is weeping. It's like, man, this ain't good. Somebody's dead. Somebody's sick. The kid broke their arm. Like something's bad. And I'm like, Sarah, what's going on? You've got to talk to me. She keeps crying. This goes on for probably 30, 40 seconds. And I'm like, girl, you've got to tell me what's going on or we're going to have problems. First thing she says to me, and this doesn't help anything. She goes, you've got to get home now. And I'm like, really? Like that doesn't help. My heart is racing. I'm about to have a heart attack sitting at my office desk. And I'm like, if you don't tell me what's going on right now. Finally, she says two words that changed our lives forever. She said two more words. She said this, I'm walking. I'm walking. See, you you're what? She said, I'm walking. I didn't ask any more questions. I hung up the phone. And at that time I was just starting to work out a lot and try to get a little more healthy. And so the day before I had did leg workouts. And my legs were so sore. So I'm trying to run back to the house, but I'm waddling like a chicken, if you can imagine it. Some of you are like, that's really easy to imagine, Ross. I'm waddling like a chicken back to my house, and I walk into our home, and for the first time in three and a half years, I stand in the doorway as my wife is walking all over the house, completely healed by the power of God. There's no walker or wheelchair in sight. She's walking all over the house, tears coming down her face, her hands are in the air. She's praying in the Holy Spirit. And I stood there for like 20 minutes before I even moved because I was in shock. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But can I tell you that in a moment's time, it all made sense to me. In a moment's time, I saw what God had started to say to me three and four years ago. That, Ross, if you'll trust me, I'll take what you've labeled a problem and I'll turn it into an opportunity for people to know me and my power in ways like they've never known before. Can I tell you that as hard as those years were, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. Because my children who are seven and nine, they can tell you Jesus is more than just a concept. Jesus is more than just a Sunday school story. Jesus is really able to do the things that the Bible says that Jesus can do. The problem has become an opportunity. They can say that Jesus is more than just a concept. This is more what than what people have told us that He is. He's, he's real. And I'm here to tell you this morning, sometimes the testimony is that He brings you through it. Other times the testimony is that He delivers you from it. But either way, beloved, with Jesus we cannot lose. So long as Jesus is with us we will be the church triumphant. We will be the overcoming conquering church that the Bible says that we are. There's nothing in this world, above this world, below this world that can stop us from being everything that God has called and destined us to be. If we encounter darkness he's going to to encounter it with us, and he's going to give us a testimony of who he is and what he's able to do. So, what of politics being all messed up in our generation? I say, opportunity. So what of our streets being riddled with drugs and drug dealers? It's not problems for God. It's opportunities for Him to show up and show us His power. So what of a world that is spiraling out of control? I'm I'm so tired of hearing people talk more about the problem than talk about, hey, look at what God could do with this problem. Come on, somebody. I want to believe God. I don't want to resort to faithlessness or hopelessness. I want to believe God for our generation. Would you stand with me all over the house of God? I want to believe God. This morning, I want my declaration to be that what I've labeled a problem, I'm labeling an opportunity. It's simple, but beloved, we believe for Jesus' power to be displayed in every perplexing, problematic situation of our lives. We don't resort to faithlessness or hopelessness or despair. If there's one thing I know, I know that this year is going to be a year of problems. I know it, and I don't have to be prophetic to tell you that, because life has a way of throwing us its curveballs. Life has a way of hitting us out of nowhere with situations and circumstances that are beyond us. But, beloved, with every problem, there will be an opportunity for us to know the presence and the power of Jesus in ways like we've never known before. Father, I thank you with all of my heart, God, for the opportunity, God, to speak to your people today. Father, I pray in the next few moments that you would stir our hearts once again, And God, I know that there are people in this house today whose hearts have been stirred over and over and over again. And still there has been no change. Still there has been no difference. There has been no alleviation. But Father, today in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that hope and confidence would arise in their hearts once again. God Almighty, that you would meet them in their hopelessness and in their despair and you would begin to do in their hearts, God, what only you can. God, that they would leave this place full of courage and confidence. God, that you are with us and we're able to do in and through our lives all that you want to do. My God, that the darkness that surrounds us, it, it doesn't prevent you from being God, and it, it doesn't prevent you from doing God things, whether it's in our home or our, our family or our neighborhood, God. God, it's never prevented you in times past, and it, it doesn't prevent you now. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we, we just come against hopelessness today and despair and anxiety in the name of Jesus, God, let it all be broken under your power to Let the truth of your word confront, God, every word of hopelessness. Let the truth of your word confront every word of despair that's been spoken over our hearts and over our lives. And, And let confidence arise in the hearts